So to get us started, I'd like to know a little bit about you and your background. Can you tell me your name and the year that you were born? Oh, God. Uh, my name's Samantha Flair and I was born in 1968. Where did you, did you grow up? Um, I, I grew up in, well, I moved to Germany when I was small and then I came back to Scotland and I've been in Scotland ever since. So I grew up in Edinburgh and then I moved to Glasgow when I was 18. What is your professional or work background? I'm an occupational therapist and I've always worked in mental health. Um, so now I'd like to get on to talking about your involvement with mental health and the arts. What was your first role within mental health and the arts? Uh, well, I graduated in 1989 and I went straight into working in inpatients and I started to use art as a therapeutic medium. So whether that was jewellery making, pottery, um, graphics, you know, kind of, I can't even remember the thing for the, the newspaper, uh, paper mache, um, all that kind of stuff. So I started to use that clinically and um, I'd found it just really powerful with patients, you know, even people that were really unwell benefited from it. Um, so it was really clinically that I first started to use it. And then I got interested in kind of how to influence and kind of get actual cash into the organisation to um, get more projects off the ground. Would you say that your work was trying to achieve? Uh, well, I was trying to help people um, be part of a group being able to share equipment, um, being able to talk to one another, um, being able to learn new skills and practice skills that they maybe were a bit rusty with, um, help them think about their what was going on in their, their mental health and their lives and translate that into something artistic. And then we would be able to talk about it. So it wasn't... Um, art psychotherapy but it had an element of them sharing what they had produced and why it was important to them. Have you got any particular favourite memories of of the work that you did or anything that people created? I've got lots of favourite memories. Um, I mean I remember we were doing a I worked in rehabilitation and we were doing a big a scientific poster presentation about how good rehab was. And I'd said to the multidisciplinary team, and I mean, this was 1989, so it was, it was quite ahead of its time. And I said, um, it'd be really good to get the people in the ward to do some posters on what rehab means to them. So I um, went into town with... Um, service users and we went to the big art place in Queen Street and we bought like lots of different things including sticky back plastic and I'd always wanted to buy that because I'd heard about it in Blue Peter and never ever been able to afford it uh, so I was really excited and then we did a few different groups around what does rehab mean to us and we produced art to um, describe it for people so that it was a visual thing and the group came up with one of the one of the posters we did was a big tree 
and all the different apples on it were different elements of what they got from rehab and the colour of the sky was of importance to them and what the grass was like and what the flowers were and rehab at that time was really very focused on them being able to cook and clean and pay bills and it was quite a difficult place to be a patient and it felt quite regimented the nurse in charge was quite firm and obsessed with clean fridges and nonsense and when we did the the work around developing the poster um it really helped me to realize that they really understood what was happening and they valued it and um, it gave them a chance to express how they felt and I remember some of the patients who really were they were so damaged these have been people who'd been on psychotropic medication for 30 or 40 years had never been outside a hospital had never been asked what they thought um, and they they really valued those groups and they felt really empowered and they were really excited and they were all participating and I was looking at them thinking I never thought it would be this good and I think that for me was a real watershed when I realized that using a creative activity can actually help people to feel empowered and valued and have a voice and I could tell you loads more. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um, yeah, go, go, go ahead. Um, well, I mean, I remember another time we, I moved to the Southern General and we had this open plan um, therapy area and a great big blank wall. And um, I was doing lots of art groups of people, but I was really into... I don't know how other therapists maybe got people to work on one thing, an individual thing, but I was really into doing big projects where everybody worked together and we created an idea and we worked it out and we allocated tasks. And I always thought it brought a real energy to the, the group. So it was a year of, it was an Olympic games. So we used this massive piece of partitioned wall and did all the different Olympic things. And that year, one of the athletes had been stung by a wasp when she was running. And there was a wee wasp at the bottom of this girl's ankle. Um, and it, everybody just, you know, it always amazed me that if you had people who had quite kind of negative symptoms, and they were really quite um, flattened in their mood and very blank. And they became so... Um, so kind of lit up and they enjoyed it so much and I would have people clamoring to come to these groups and we did loads every you know we would leave those things up for a couple of weeks and then we would whitewash over it so maybe somebody who wasn't very artistic could whitewash over it and that gave them the confidence then to do the next piece of art and then we did the Glasgow skyline at dusk which was from the south side so it was old Victoria hospital buildings um, and you know i've just i've done loads of stuff with people all like that and i think the thing that i remember was that sometimes i would do art with patients and some of my um, colleagues would laugh at it they would scoff at it and they would say that's not going up in our ward that it's really demeaning 
Um, and I remember that happened one Christmas and I was working with acutely unwell people at this point, who some of whom they needed a squirted tune from the department and they were unpredictable. Um, and they did this Christmas scene and again, all working together, you know, deciding on every element of it. And they wanted it put up in the central area between the two acute wards. And the nurses said, no, nah, it's rubbish. It's not going up. And the patients all banded together and did like a petition to make it go up. So it wasn't me as the therapist going, you need to put it up. They want it. It was them themselves. Um, and it just really built that, um, that movement of people with lived experience having power and a voice and being able to achieve things. And, and what do you think, um, why do you think that your colleagues in the NHS had, had that kind of reaction? Um, it was a long time ago and things have really changed. But when I started working on one of the wards, I was called Raphia Woman. Um, and I didn't just do art. Art was just one of the things I did. I did loads of different things with the people that I worked with. Um, but I think that occupational therapists were quite well-to-do and quite affluent. A lot of them were women. They weren't used to the rough and tumble of multidisciplinary teams. Um, where a lot of the nurses had been there for a long time. They were not highly qualified. In those days, you just needed a few um, standard grades to become a nurse. So they really weren't academic at all. And I think that they found us posh and smart, and they didn't like it. And I think they were really uncomfortable as well with the fact that we really appreciated that you need to work with people it's not about telling them it's not about doing it for them and I think that was a bit scary and I think as well we did stuff that was really good fun <laughs> you know like my patients always wanted to come to my groups right they, they wanted me to work seven days a week because we just I tried to make it engaging because, you know, learning how to clean a fridge and do your shopping is really necessary, but it's dead boring. And all the nurses were so focused on all the seriousness of it that I think I drove them crazy because I was quite um, ditzy and silly and funny. And they just didn't like it. But they did come round. They did come round. Um, and I think that, you know, it was just, um, I wore them down. <laughs> And you mentioned that, that things have changed quite a lot since then. And could you expand on that? Well, I think that people are much more aware of the impact on your mental health and well-being of arts and creativity and activity. And that's not just within health. If you look at the, the culture now, it's very much about um, upcycling, making from scratch, you know, people are knitting, decoupage is trendy. Um, so it's much more socially acceptable than when I started doing it as a, as a young therapist. And I think that we now have much more evidence, you know, research articles and journals that prove that it's not just something nice. We're not just um, 
We're not just giving people something to do. There's a treatment, there's a frame of reference, there's theoretical um, proof that it makes a difference. Um, and things like projectability have come online and um, you know, I've worked with um, people doing comedy workshops and universal comedy and um, people doing drama and, um, you know, kind of music therapists. So that's all much more to the forefront. Um, and I suppose I've gone from having it as a hard sell to really being seen as an essential part of the therapies that we deliver and you know it's not happened overnight you know it's happened over a number of years but when I think about um, maybe the first time that I kind of put in for a bid for funding I think I got some like five and a half grand um, and I managed to get projectability to do something and I mean I've been putting in bids for 70 grand 80 grand you know big bits of money that have got the support of a senior management team and it isn't just occupational therapists that are doing it it's nurses it's psychologists it's all the team could you tell me a little bit more about about the funding side of things who who funds the work that you were or who funded the work that you were doing um well it came from lots of different places um I suppose what I, what I did, and I think this is what most people do, is you seek out like-minded people and make links and get yourself around tables to access money. And I've done some really silly things to get money. Um, there was a thing, it was called, oh God, what was it? The North Glasgow Network or something. And this was a consortium of lots of different third sector providers and they had developed a strategic plan for arts within northeast and northwest and i managed to make pals with somebody from glasgow glasgow life who helped me with um, stuff that we were doing for the mental health arts festival lorenzo melli is his name and he was really interested in it. So he got me into this group um, where I had to go along and kid on I was a tree and, and be really arty. And I'm rubbish at all that. And everybody in the room knew it. But I managed to get some money out of them. <laughs> um, and I've managed to get quite a lot of money from endowments within Glasgow City and within NHS GGNC. Um, I've had funding from Creative Scotland. Um, I've had funding from Paths for All, which I managed to wind in art into that. So in that bid, I managed to put in about 20k for um, the materials for the Creative Scotland project, which was only paying for the artist's time. Um, where else? And I also worked with, I'm rubbish with names, Donald Durkett, who's quite a well-known artist. Um, and he um, curated quite a big project for me. And he found some money from somewhere as well. Um, but it is tricky finding money because a lot of people won't entertain us because we're from 
a statutory organisation. So that can be an issue. Um, and sometimes I've just been really lucky and I've managed to get money because of year-end spend. And I had a really um, supportive line manager who um, found about 75K to do a couple of sculptures. So a lot of it is just about um, talking to people, building relationships, um, got some money from the volunteer services organization um, I'm doing some work with Urban Roots which is um, about gardening and horticulture but that's about creativity as well and they I think have managed to find me some money as well um, so yeah I just kind of um, try to think out the box and see wherever I can get cash from <laughs> And also I've got some, um, I've managed to get some um, just small pots of money um, from things like Silverburn um, Shopping Centre. And um, there's a guy I talked to in the park who's totally loaded when I walk my dogs. He gave me some money. <laughs> that, that's amazing. Would you say there are any differences to the way that... Uh, we access funding now compared to back when you first started? Uh, well, I think there's probably a lot more out there. Um, but I think I've probably just really built up my, my networks and my knowledge. So it's hard for me to separate out, was it always there that I just didn't know about it? Or is more coming on stream? I mean, obviously Creative Scotland is a huge voice and the um, the art festival, the Mental Health Art and Film Festival, that was really huge for us. Um, it didn't come with any funding at all, but what it did was it kind of opened the door for interest and it helped us to, um, I was able to go to various public venues and get free exhibition space. You know, so, you know, so then people are interested and um, that just springboards you to the next thing. So a lot of it is about you really um, keeping your ears open and not missing an opportunity. And any anything that comes in that there might be some money attached to it, speak to people. Because Universal Comedy, um, I did a lot of work with them. And some of it I funded, but a lot of the times they got money from elsewhere and I don't even know that they were then able to top up my programs. Is it, is it difficult to evidence to funders the, the impact that your work is having on, on the, the service users? Well, it depends how they want you to evidence the impact. Um, I mean, certainly I did another piece of work um, around therapists' use of creativity and their awareness of it because I had a bit of a concern that a lot of occupational therapists were walking away from it. So we did a big scoping exercise and then we did a big training exercise. And as part of that, I trained people in um, to, we call them patient reported outcome measures. Ones, it's, um, now I think, I think it's called the, it's empowerment measure and it was developed specifically to see people's um, how people's opinions about their own well-being changed from the beginning and start of an art project 
and we used um what's it called now i'm having a mental blank it's too late at night but we used another measure where we sat down and asked people to tell us in their own words how they felt they had been changed by their creative um group work that they'd had and they're pretty robust especially the empowerment measure it was developed by some very clever doctor somewhere so it's got a bit of kudos another measure that i just can't remember the name of it's um it's got a lot of traction in the scottish government so using those tools we are able to um say that people are different as a result of their intervention but a lot of the time it is about that sort of lived testimony i mean we had a guy in the early days of the Scottish Mental Health Art and Film Festival. And he had been really, really psychotically unwell. And he had done a lot of work with a therapist and then had gone on to do work with different arts groups. And he, um, his testimony was filmed as part of the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival. And he was able to articulate, you know, that had made a difference to his life. He'd managed to get himself onto a university programme. He was selling art, he was making money, um, and it was making him feel well. So those sorts of things are really powerful. And I think when people come to an exhibition and they see the art, and if we're lucky enough to, to get the media to cover it, um, and I was able to get some guy that had been in Taggart to come along and read a poem and chat about how great it all was. So that got a bit of interest. Um, so I don't think it is, it is that difficult. Um, but what people will say to me sometimes is, all right, so you did a six-week group and you used art and people said at the end they were better. But how do you know it was the art group? So they're talking about things like balance and measures. You know, there may be other things that have changed. You know, the person might have won the lottery or they might have got a new house with the garden or they might have met a new uh, guy who was making them feel really happy. So, of course, you know, you can't, people aren't in petri dishes. Um, but we use the tools that we've got to evidence the difference that we can, that we make. And I think in general, it's pretty well received. I'm interested to know what happens to all of the work that people have created. I know you said that um, some of the work gets whitewashed over, but the other stuff, what, what happens to it? A lot of the time um, we spend lots of money and we get it beautifully framed and we put it up. Um, sometimes people want to sell it or give it to their relatives. Sometimes people want to put it in the bucket. Um, you know, because I suppose the thing to say is that it is, it's really nice to produce art, but as a therapist, the process is just as important. So somebody might produce something that I think is stunning, but it's their piece of art. So they decide what happens to it. Um, but if they're up for it, we, we try and exhibit it. And certainly in Garden Naval Royal, they've got a kind of rolling program of exhibition. Uh, exhibitions that was created by projectability but I think funding made that difficult um, the other thing that um, we did was that we did a photography competition a couple of years ago and we've, we invited amateur photographers from anywhere in South Glasgow and it was advertised everywhere um, 
you didn't have to have a mental health problem. And then people sent in their um, their um, JPEGs of their photograph and lots of people who came to the event rated them and then we whittled it down and we had three winners and the three winners got their piece of work beautifully um, mounted and framed and we also took another copy and we put them into bigger frames and made it a bit more dramatic because it was going in a bigger space and we then put that art into a public space in the hospital with a thing that explained where I come from. So um, I think that, you know, one of the folk that one was a Joe Bloggs, one was a carer and one was a person with lived experience, but we wanted to, we didn't want stigma. We didn't want to say, oh, you need to be a good photographer and have a mental health problem. All we wanted was amateur photographers and for them to come into the hospital and which is part of the community and um, be part of that process. Um, you just mentioned stigma there, and I wondered if um, you, you've noticed a difference in public attitudes towards mental health from back from when you first started working in, in the field um, compared to nowadays. To a degree, uh-huh. Um, I think the, the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival has made the biggest impact. And I did a piece of work... Um, We'd done a lot of, um, it was called, um, oh, hello, uh, it's called um, GASP, which was the Glasgow Anti-Stigma Partnership. So I got some money and we trained a lot of staff in stigma, stigma awareness. Um, and we trained service users and carers to deliver the training. And it evaluated okay. And then Lee Nifton, that's the one. Um, he came up along with other people with the idea of the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival because the research really showed that actually art and film breaks down stigma. And I think that was where we really, from the point of view of the population, saw a change in attitudes. But we still have staff who stigmatise patients all the time. You know, we're, we're not done. There is a way to go. Some of the most stigmatised, some of the most stigmatised attitudes come from our own staff. Back when you first started um, in the late 80s, what kind of language were people using about mental health? I guess I'm interested both in terms of uh, the general public and also within hospitals and services. Um, I saw a, a doctor's note about a patient, and I don't think it was a psychiatrist, but the note said, this man is radio rental and that was a medic um, and we used to put a lot of um i used to see a lot of entries in the notes and i used to hear a lot um he's just at it um and i remember i worked with a nurse who i complained to her that i didn't appreciate that kind of language and she really agreed with me and she she really went to town with the, the nurses and the team about how unacceptable that was. Um, but I mean, you know, loonies, crazy, 
uh, bonkers, all those words were used commonly. Um, and you just, you don't hear as much of that now. And I think that the other thing that you used to see a lot of is um, he's attention seeking. Um, and that was really used to describe people who were maybe um, had personality issues or it would say um, this person has got personality issues, that kind of stuff in their notes. And it, it was a euphemism for really difficult and you didn't want to have them on your caseload. Um, and I think that's slowly changing. I think there's much more understanding that personality disorders and people living with unstable um, unstable emotional personality disorder are, are highly distressed and traumatized. And I think we understand that much better now. Um, so I think there is more on, of an attempt to empathy. And I think we're better, we've got better, more evidence-based approaches um, like um, DBT, uh, which we manage, you know, work with these people as a team. And I think the other thing is that we're probably getting better at saying to people who are in distress but who don't have a mental health problem like schizophrenia or bipolar that the the main issue they're struggling with is that they've got a personality that's fragmented probably as a result of trauma and that we describe that in our clinical manuals as a personality disorder but try to say it in a way that um, that's a diagnostic criteria and not to allow it to define the person because it's a horrendous label. I mean, the idea that somebody would say to me, you have got a disorder personality. I mean, it, it must, it's as devastating as a cancer diagnosis because it's a very, very negative label. And we are better, but I know there's still staff out there who are not um, fully on board with having as much respect as they should. Do you think that um, seeing or engaging with the artworks that people have created, do you think that has had any impact on, on staff members' views of the people? I, I think it has. I have. Um, and I suppose part of... If the, if, I mean, what I'm about to tell you is not necessarily a popular view, right? But this is what I think. Um, if we're going to exhibit art, it has to be good enough, right? You can do art that's nice and is part of a therapy group. But for me, if we want to change people's attitudes, we can't have somebody say, oh, that's a nice piece of art considering she's got schizophrenia because that's so patronising. So wherever um, I'm working on projects with staff and third sector providers and service users and carers, that is the thing that I'll say is we can have any art we want and you can do it, you can do what you want with it, but the only art that's going up is art that can stand up to criticism. People don't need to like it. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, I paid, not personally, but we paid 28 grand to get a Susan Derges massive um, picture that was put up in Garden Avel and people said they thought it looked like an elephant's hide. But it was a good piece of art. Um, but for me, if it's crappy art that a nurse or a psychologist or a cleaner can look at and go, I wouldn't have that up, but it's okay because they've got mental health problems. I think that's really negative.
But where we've put up good art that has been well executed, um, it's, it has changed attitudes. And also it just makes, it makes the place nicer for everybody. You know, I mean, who wouldn't want to walk up a corridor with beautifully framed art that is vibrant or thought-provoking um, when they go into a ward? Yeah, I guess, I guess there's a kind of perhaps a, a knock-on effect as well. It's not just the people that create the art that are impacted by it. It's the others too, the people who, who view it. Absolutely, uh-huh, because, you know, I mean, it'll make you... You know, it might make you feel great. It might make you feel sad. It might make you feel angry. It, you know, I don't know because I've never asked. But, you know, there's maybe a few people, staff, visitors, who've thought, do you know, I think I might just pick up my watercolours or go and take some pictures. So it might have actually stimulated them. And then hopefully they're getting the chance to, to find out that actually it does make you feel, it might not make you feel great, but it makes you feel... How... How do you encourage people with lived experience to get involved in, in the creative process? Um, we'll just tell them it's on offer. We taste our sessions. I mean, we did a bit of that with Universal Comedy. We got people to do um, some skits, um, you know, and kind of gave them a few ideas, you know, like um, tea bags, uh, a hill, a puddle, and then build something around it. And actually, what a hoot that was. It was hysterical. And we had some people who were really quite unwell, but because it was so off the wall, they really blended in. Whereas a lot of the time, if somebody's really thought disordered and you're doing a group, it's really obvious and it's distressing for them. Whereas, you know, we had people who were quite thought disordered, but they fitted in a treat and it was a really positive experience for them and they were able to sit still for five minutes and get a bit of escape from the things that were actually really difficult for them. Um, so we tend to you just kind of put out there as a suggestion and let people try it or, you know, and I've had people who've just come along to a group and they've said, I don't want to do anything, but they're sitting and they're having a chat and they're saying, oh, that's nice, oh, I like that or oh, I wouldn't be paying of that colour. Um, you know, so it's all part of the process. Um, but I mean, it's unfortunate that we had lockdown because I was just about to, um, the big lottery, that's other people we've got funding from, but I was just about to try and get money to do um, a couple of sculptures with an artist. Now, what's she called again? I'm hopeless with names. Um, Nicola Sunday. Um, I think her company's maybe called Beautiful Creatures or something. Um, and she does a lot of um, community sculpting. And I've got a group that's a service user and care and engagement group. And I wanted to do some development with them so that they could improve their skills and their confidence. And I discussed with them the idea of working with this artist as a way to um, kind of have a couple of sculptures that um, epitomise their contribution and how they felt about um, being service users and carers who shaped services. And... I put it to them and I thought they might be quite like, no way, but they all just couldn't wait for it to happen. And it's such a shame because COVID hit and there was just too many other priorities. So we haven't been able to progress that. So yeah, I think people are quite open to it now. How would you say that um, working with people with lived experience 
has impacted on your own mental health? Um, hugely, hugely. Um, I mean, I, you know, I love it. I've done it for a long time. It's, you know, moving from being, because I don't do therapy with people now, I work alongside them. Um, and that was a huge learning curve because it's a different relationship and I found it quite difficult initially. And I felt a bit, I suppose I was a bit scared. Um, but working in partnership is, it's very rewarding. I've seen so many people and I can tell you another story. This is a really good story. Um, I took over a day service in the early 90s. And the therapist who had the day service, she had art groups and various things. And she said to me, don't you dismantle this service. These people have come here for years and they love it. So, and we were working with a, an art teacher from Annie's Land College at the time. And we started a really big project. It was, a, um, we were doing massive things like 10 feet tall um, things using broken up pottery. And um, I took these, the people in the, in the group, I took them to art galleries and I took them to Project Ability um, and just kind of, you know, and they, they saw the things that they could do themselves. And I'd been, I'd been doing a group with them for about three months or something. And two of the guys said to me at the end, can we speak to you at the end privately? And I said, aha. And so we went into the office and they handed me their letters of resignation from the group because they wanted to go and do other things. They didn't want to be patients in my group. They wanted to be artists doing their own thing. Um, and actually, I shut down that day service because it was really antiquated and nobody wanted to be there. And they all went on to much better things. Um, so that's a wee story. Um, but I suppose, yeah, I, I get a lot of satisfaction from it. Um, the service users and carers I work with, they challenge me. They um, tell me I'm wrong. Um, they disagree with me. and it's just really good. It's really good for them and it's really good for me. I love it. Back in the early days, how did you find out about other people who were perhaps doing similar things to you or was there much of a sense of community within mental health and the arts? Well, Project Ability, they were kind of getting off the ground. Elizabeth Gibson, was she's really good at making connections. Um, and so she just kind of made me aware of other um, kind of people that were interested and I had some colleagues who were interested as well and um, you know I just kind of um, I'm always um, interested in new connections so uh, if anybody was talking about anything that I thought that my patients would benefit from that I would be asking them about it phoning them meeting with them um, and just, you know, looking to see whatever we could do that wouldn't necessarily cost a lot of money that would um, be an opportunity for people. What would you say the major challenges that you faced have been? Um, well, a lack of interest and disrespect. I had one general manager who 
said, because I think the first thing I got for, I'd had like little projects to, to kind of do art with patients, but I managed to get 20K to put art into the new Garden Neville because there was none and it was shocking. We should have thought about it. Um, and my, my general manager, I told him that I was going to be working with this guy to curate and I was going to be putting out things to Creative Scotland to get artists in and blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, Samantha, why can't you just spend that money in Ikea? Um, they've got loads of prints there. And I just thought, there's no way that's going up in my hospital. Um, so I did have a, a kind of initial kind of just a lack of interest, a lack of understanding. But the Scottish Mental Health Art and Film Festival really helped us to challenge that. Um, because I was putting out saying I'm develop I'm putting together a strategic art group. I had a consultant um psychotherapist who was really interested in art. Um, I had different people who were interested, volunteer services manager, etc. And I just built a body of interest kind of from the ground up. Um, and then we developed the art in the guard and we developed the logo and we did loads of stuff in the Scottish Mental Health Art and Film Festival year on year and it just built interest and we got other people involved and worked with third sector providers and you know did all sorts of you know kind of pretty good things on virtually no money. How would you like the relationship between mental health and the arts in Scotland to develop in the next five to ten years? Um, well, I think I would just like to see more of what we've got. And I think for me, I think it's a shame that a barrier to funding is that I work in a statutory service. I think people need to have the vision to realise that if you know, because statutory services are about patients and beds and medicine and treatment. And they're not about art exhibitions. And people don't always see the connection between improving somebody's well-being through art can get them back into employment. They're better at seeing it. Um, but I think it's a lot to expect senior general managers to make that leap. So I think that we need to open the access to funding to statutory bodies as long as they can evidence their outcomes. And I suppose the other thing that I would like to see is, uh, and maybe it exists and I don't know about it, but specific funding around mental health and art from a research perspective. So we really need a research strategy and we need a review of funding. And I think the other thing that we need to do, and this isn't just about um, arts organisations, but it's another bugbear of mine, is that there's a huge move towards asking third sector people to tender to provide services for us, but we give them ridiculously short contracts of three years. And to be a worker in that environment where you might not be able to pay your mortgage next month, I think is really unfair. So we need to be looking to fund these organisations for a minimum of five years, if not 10, so that they can bed in, so that they can be around and so that they can get a chance to succeed. Um, something you said earlier was that you think the, the Mental Health Arts and Film Festival has helped to change 
attitudes about mental health. What what role do you think that art plays when it comes to tackling mental health stigma and discrimination? I think it's a leveller. You know, people, you know, they don't go along to the arts festival because they're worried about depression. They go to see that band because they think the music's great and the fact that the lead guitarist is sometimes suicidal is something that will infiltrate into it, but it reminds them that anybody can get a mental health problem. Anybody can be distressed. And I think it also lets them, it reminds them, because I think we always, like bipolar affective disorder is quite sort of trendy, you know. Um, these people, they can, be, they can be bonkers, but they can be creative is the sort of thing that you hear. Um, but in actual fact, you know, you can have a rip-roaring schizophrenia, a psychosis that can completely um, disable you, but you can be an amazing painter, a poet, you know, um, a sculptor, whatever. And I think that's what the film festival, the Arts and Film Festival did. It just helped people to know that it's anybody can experience mental health and anybody that you know and are living, you know, walking along the street with could have a significant mental health problem you just don't know. They're just like anyone else. Have you noticed any change in the parity between mental health and physical health through the time that you've been working? Well, mental health has really been a high priority for successive Scottish governments. And I've seen huge leaps forward on how we look after people. You know, when I had my first job, I was telling you earlier that I had people who'd been in hospital for 30 years and they'd always had fish on a Friday. And if they didn't eat their dinner quickly, it was taken away. And, you know, they were told what to wear and where to go and, you know, when to go to the toilet. So, you know, we have moved on absolute leaps and bounds and I think there's much more understanding at a public health level that your physical health impacts on your mental health and vice versa you know we know that people with mental health issues if they're on significant neuroleptics can have high blood pressure they can have weight gain um, you know so that can lead to obesity which can lead to diabetes and all the rest of it and I think we're much much better at understanding that and I think that we are getting better at realising that things like back pain and um, long-term conditions will impact on how we feel and how we are emotionally. So I think that we're in a really good place nationally with regards to that. I think I asked you earlier about challenges, but what would you say are your, your main successes? Well, I mean... I, I really think that my successes and the successes of all my colleagues completely outweigh the challenges. And maybe that's just because I just forget the challenges. Um, but I suppose my main successes is everything, everything I've spoken about. I mean, I was really, anytime I got any money and I managed to get any kind of art done because that's the other thing as well is that by getting funding we could get artists to work with people so they were really learning really good skills it wasn't like me because I mean I love art but I'm crap you know I mean really um 
so being able to get real artists, people with real pedigree. Um, we had one guy, I think his name's, um, it's either Sandy Hamilton or Alexander Hamilton. And he does these things called cyanotopes. And they're absolutely stunningly beautiful. And he had this great big sculpture thing in Dundee. It was really, really amazing. And he came along and did um, sort of 12 weeks of workshops doing cyanotopes with people in acute, um, which are all up on the walls in the hospital. And they were just lovely. Um, so that was a real success because they were so easy to do and they had such a huge impact. Um, I think being able to work in partnership with all the people that I've mentioned um, and seeing, you know, some of people that had been on my case would go on to be, you know, to do comedy routines, stand up, even if I was potentially in the audience and they were using me as their stooge, um, you know, going along to a session and listening to people and everyone's fallen off their seat um, was really you know really amazing i think that the the work that we did in and around all the different libraries um and different community cafes in the west end where we got all our we did this roving exhibition which was bloody hard work so we were putting apart for a couple of days and then dismantling it all and putting it somewhere else so we had this big art road show that was really that was a huge success i think the other thing was um getting the guy from taggart to come and read Sunday's poem and the girl who'd written the poem was in the audience and she was crying and she was she loved him he was like one of her favorite actors and she was so overwhelmed and he was amazing this professional actor you know bringing this poem to life and the whole room was hushed and we had like um, fancy little cakes and all that, that as well, and white service. That was amazing. Um, you know, when we did the photography thing and managed to get money from Silver Burns, it didn't cost us anything. Um, and, you know, that was really good as well. And um, just watching people's faces as their, their piece of work was selected by their peers, that was just really fab. Um, it's just so many, so many memories of, you know, watching, watching that guy um, do the video clip for the Scottish Mental Health Art and Film Festival and being there, it was all getting filmed professionally and I was asking him questions and he was telling me and I was muted out, thank God, and he was telling this story and it was all black behind him and it was really powerful and it really surprised me. I didn't realise how articulate he was going to be because he was saying before oh, i'm going to be rubbish i'm not going to know what to say and i'm really scared and i was going you'll be fine you'll be fine we drove all the way through to edinburgh i got a parking ticket and everything but that doesn't matter um it's just been amazing um i've done some really good work with urban roots um you know we've helped you know i've seen people get into employment become artists you know it's just all there's so many successes they totally outweigh the difficulties what kind of feedback have you had from artists and actors who have been involved either in running workshops or um like you say reading someone's poem 
Um, well, I, I know, I wish I could remember that guy's name because he was a lead actor in Taggart. He was so pleased to be a part of it. Um, and some of these people, they want money and he didn't want anything. He just came along in his own time and he was really engaging. He was like a poster boy. All the women were falling over themselves. Um, so he loved it. He was really happy to be involved. Um, and I suppose the the artists that I've basically given work to are always very complimentary. And I think that's probably because <laughs> they might get more work out of it. So what they think themselves and what they tell me might not marry up. Um, I mean, I suppose the thing that stands out for me when I think about artists is that I did a, I did a kind of panel discussion as part of the arts festival a couple of years ago. Um, and there was some, you know, like people that you would know, kind of musicians and things um, and artists who, as well as being really successful, were living with mental health issues. And one of the girls, and again, I'm rubbish with names, it doesn't matter, but she's in a band that's pretty well known, quite successful. And I was sitting in the thing talking about how great art is and how it really helps to make you better. And she said, aha, but it also can make you really ill because you don't know where your next meal's coming from and you torture yourself that what you're doing isn't good enough and you stand up on a stage and sometimes people throw things at you. And I thought to myself, oh God, you know, I just come out from that, no, oh, if you do that, you'll be a bit better. Um, and it, it was a bit of an eye-opener for me and I felt quite humbled by that. And I think it made me think to myself, I need to remember that. You know, because it isn't all um, it isn't all wonderful, and um, you know, I mean, there's songs and lyrics about people suffering for their art. So it's it's not all the way I see it as somebody who is you know just an OT. Why do you think it's important that um, there's a that we um, that mental health is covered in our, either in a positive way or as you've just described, sort of the, the negative side of mental health? Well, art is about the human condition. So um, good, bad or indifferent, you know, people have been creating art since man could hold a tool to do art. Um, and it's such an important part of our culture. Um, you know, everybody in Glasgow has been in the People's Palace and seen the Billy Connolly wellies and, and the, the work. Um, the Glasgow boys, you know, I would say, particularly in Glasgow, art is seen as something that's very accessible to people from all walks of life. Um, you don't need to be posh in Glasgow to write poetry and it's a great leveler. Is there anything else you want to say or anything you feel that we haven't discussed that you'd like to add? No, I think, oh God, this has been very cathartic. I didn't know I knew so much. <laughs> um, 
I think I just, you know, obviously I'll be really interested to see the outputs of this project um, because I do feel really passionately about art and creativity and, and what it can bring. Um, so I've really valued being able to share my stories. And I'll probably think of a hundred more stories after you go. I'm going to tell you one more, actually. Because I'm working with an artist called Lindsay Perth now. She's going to be doing some work as part of her landscape project. I don't know if you know Lindsay Perth's work, but see if you don't, Google her. Her stuff's amazing. And um, when we were interviewing her, she showed us this image of this um, beautiful chandelier that was all different um, glass balls hanging in all different levels in a hospital atrium. And it was absolutely gorgeous. And I said to her, I said, you know, did you do that? Did you do those glass balls? And she said, no. She said, I, I taught patients how to blow glass. And they did it. And I, I thought, you are the woman. You are the woman for me. And she said, another thing I got them to do was I got them to scribe messages on the glass balls that nobody would see. But they they would do it. It was whatever they wanted to say. And she did lots of other projects. But that, for me, it ticked all the boxes. She understood that it was about the experience, but it was about pushing people, building their skills, trusting them to be in a place with molten glass and allowing them to put their own mark on it. And that is what I want us always to do, is to push people to be the best they can be, to learn skills, to be able to put it on their CV and go on and do whatever they want. That's great, that's such a lovely story. <laughs> it is, honestly, our stuff's amazing. It's all like that, she does amazing things. But that was so powerful because that ticked my box of really beautiful, high quality art that everyone's going to love. And it was done by people who had to learn how to blow glass. It was amazing. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been so interesting. And it sounds like you've got, yeah, just a super interesting job. I'm quite jealous. <laughs> a lot of it's not. A lot of it's really rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bit that I managed to get managers let me do. 